Yo, what is good, everybody? Welcome back to Diamond Talk, and today the stars are out. We're going to be talking and recapping the Yankee-Dodgers series at this past weekend. Uh, let's get started, man. Rob, how you doing? Yo, what's going on, man? I'm doing good. Yeah, definitely ready to dive into some of these topics here. I think definitely always it's going to be a good start when we're looking at a series like the Yankees-Dodgers. They've been giving us some good baseball in these last couple of days, and we got a great series finale to look forward to tonight. Dude, it's been, it's been a great series. And if you think about New York baseball and, and Los Angeles Dodger baseball, it's always about the players, right? Like, we're never, we're never in a position where we don't have great talent to look at. We're, we're always looking at a Hall of Famer on a roster, right? Whether it's – even if it's, if it's past their prime, they're, they're usually on those rosters. And, and this weekend has been no less, right? We, we've seen Mookie Betts Friday, two home runs, comes out shining, uh, Freddie Freeman doing his thing, right? Two guys who I, I think are locked for the Hall of Fame. Saturday comes, and I don't know if there's a bigger star right now, uh, aside from Shohei Otani, because he's like international, but a, a bigger star than Iron Judge. And he's hitting homers, he's breaking fences, he owes the Dodgers about $200 in fence repair fees. Like, it, it's, it's what you want out of your stars, though, man. Pitch On the pitching side, we saw Kershaw, Hall of Famer. Cole, if he continues the way he's pitching in his career, he's going to be a Hall of Famer at the end of this, uh, at the end of this career. So it, it's been a great series to watch so far, right? Even 1-1, and I'll say this, the Yankees and Dodgers don't play them, each other a lot, and that's going to change based on the way that the MLB has done their scheduling. But it's just a different environment. It's, it's a different feeling. You feel like you're watching, you're watching different baseball. It feels like you're watching, I hate to say it, but it, it seems like you're watching like an upper echelon level of baseball whenever these two, these two teams meet. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. It, it it definitely is. Um, it's you're looking at a situation where, you know, it comes off as a little biased sometimes, but in reality, those are two the two big markets in the in the sport of baseball. You know, there has been chatter all these years about a, a Yankees Dodgers World Series. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure baseball wants it in terms of the revenue that they would make from that series alone. I mean, you probably can't get more um iconic for a world series than than a potential yankees dodger series you know with with the stars that both of the rosters usually have going to a game seven like that would be such a a, a great momentous world series for for the mob you know who constantly comes in every year as an organization looking for some type of spark to keep up with some of the other uh you know american sports nba nfl usually tends to be more popular but you know we're in a situation where you do have a lot of these stars a lot of people should go see the the Bleacher Report interview that Mookie Betts did with Aaron Judge. I mean, it was it was just a great conversation. Um, two of the two of the most respected players in the game, two MVPs. I mean, Mookie Betts, you know, multiple time World Series champion. Um, Aaron Judge, you know, being the historic player that he is from last season with the American League record. Um, and it, it was a great interview. I think one of the things that stood out, um, you know, which we're seeing a lot in this in this series, especially from Aaron Judge, is Mookie Betts kind of pointed out the fact that even though Aaron Judge is viewed by a lot of people as just like a home run hitter, he's not going up to the plate looking to hit home runs. Aaron Judge is just going up to the plate and just hitting. He's just trying to hit the baseball. It just so happens that he has so much natural power that a lot of those just going up there and trying to get a hit are going to go over the fence. And and I'm saying a lot because, again, a healthy Aaron Judge more often than not is going to produce at the minimum a 40 home run season. It's when he's really, really on that we're seeing these hot starts that could push into the 50 and even 60 conversation again. 
Um, but, you know, Mookie Betts, a player like Mookie Betts is right there with him. We saw him in game one um, really help the Dodgers um, with his with his two home runs take over game one. Um, and, and obviously, when you get that paired with, like you mentioned, it, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman is a dynamic duo. There might not be a better duo out there in the MLB in terms of players who are still playing at a at a very high level and are on that Hall of Fame path. Um, Clayton Kershaw went along with them for a great game one start. Garrett Cole came back game two. Gave it right back to him. You know, Garrett Cole is still right there in that and well in that conversation for AL Cy Young. Um, you can definitely say at this moment in time that the guy that's in front of him, you know, Shane McClanahan for the for the Tampa Bay Rays, deservedly so, should be the number one guy in the conversation for the season that he's having. But again, Garrett Cole is right there uh behind them for for that Garrett for that um Cy Young conversation, still undefeated on the season seven and zero. So the Yankees are definitely you know, a team that needs Garrett Cole to be at a certain level for a lot of his starts. Um, but, you know, even just, dude, it's it's kind of interesting because even shifting away from the, from the star players, and I know we're going to dive a little bit into, you know, the, the level, exact level of season that Aaron Judge is having. But I look at somebody like J.D. Martinez, who we've talked about on the podcast a lot. And it's funny because you go and you look back at last season and it was starting to seem like, you know, oh, J.D. is is starting to have a down year, like he's starting to hit like those tough seasons. Thing. But again, sometimes it just comes down to a shift in organization. There's probably no better organization that you can join than the Dodgers. He gets right in the middle of that lineup. He's already at 13 home runs on the season. He hit 16 home runs in 130 something games last season. He's already hit 13 in like 50 something uh, this year. He currently leads the NL in slugging percentage at, at 612. So you take a bat like JD Martinez, who Again, let's be real here. All he is is a bat. Like you don't, you're not looking at JD Martinez for his defense. You just want him in the middle of your you, lineup. You, you never have either, right? It's not, it's not yeah. like like anyone's missing. Like damn it, but he doesn't play the outfield <laughs> at all, at all. You know that if you put JD Martinez in the middle of your lineup, especially surrounded by a good lineup like you have out in Los Angeles, like you're gonna get production from him. Um, you know, and and a lot of these other guys. We talked about Max Muncie before. He hit a he has a home run in this series already. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of, of talent around whenever you're having a series like this between the Yankees and Dodgers. Um, and again, I always go back to that World Series matchup. It's definitely a matchup that the, that the fans would want. Um, but like you mentioned, you know, I, I don't want to take the shine off of, of, of anybody in particular. But if we're talking about the real conversation right now in terms of the elite player in this series, it is Aaron Judge, um, partly because of, of you know, the, the 2023 season that he's having might just be better than his 2022 season. Again, that's, that's just predicting. Like, I, I don't know what his 2023 is going to, going to finish like, but I mean, Daniel, it, it's gotta be, I know for us as Yankee fans, it's gotta be amazing to see what he's doing this season. Dude. So, so the best way, the best way I can put it with, with Aaron judge. And, and this is where, this is where you can tell the difference between a baseball fan and just like a Yankee hater, right. Is, Everything that Aaron Judge has done till 2022, which was last year we won the MVP, showed that 2022 wasn't some kind of ridiculous thing that we could never see again. Even his rookie season, the year that, that he came second in MVP, he lost that to Jose Altuve. That was the whole cheating scandal season, right? He not only like led rookies in categories, he led the MLB in categories. This man, that year, hit 52 home runs. At his, at his age 25 season. So we knew the power was there. That, that was never going to be a question. You're 6'7". 
You're going to hit some out. The part that, that, that you alluded to, that Mookie was talking about, they're talking together, and Aaron Judge himself has, has gone out and said this a lot, is I want to be a complete hitter. I don't want to just go out there and hit bombs. I, I, want, to hit, I want to have the high average. I think he thinks average matters, which, again, depending on where you fall, I think average matters too to, to a certain extent. Um, he walked more. He, he, he's always played a great defense. And you have to be – Again, you just have to like not watch Judge play to think that he's a bad defender or that he isn't an, an elite defender. And again, we saw that this weekend. But to 2023 specifically, man, you you gotta love it so far. Leading the AL in homers, leading the AL in OPS, OPS plus, slugging percentage. He's well on his way to a back-to-back MVP season. I don't like. I don't know what more he can really do at, at this point. You know, I just. Looking at this from a just, if I put my Yankee fan blinders on and, I'm, and, and I try not to be biased, it's hard for me to genuinely say that he's not the best player in the MLB right now. Yes, you have Otani, who, who impacts the game at, at, at a level that I don't think anyone can because of the pitching side of it. But there hasn't been a better player in Major League Baseball when Aaron Judge is on the field. And I, I don't think that's like, that's like hyping him up. I don't think that's anything other than a fact at this point. You know, you look at the crosstown Mets, where you have a guy like Pete Alonso saying things like, I want to be the home run king in New York. Bro, it's not going to happen, right? Like, you know, you, you, you talked about Pete Alonso last week or, or two weeks ago, and Pete Alonso's numbers kind of suck right now. Like, yeah, he's, he's got the home run numbers. He's, he's up to, like, 19, I think. But everything else is kind of garbage. But what Aaron Judge is doing is, is just special. Do you think he repeats this year? Uh, I don't know. Uh, look, I'm going to be honest. That's a tough one. I think I, I definitely agree with you because, look, the reality is when you have the discussion of, of the top players in the game of baseball, the conversation, especially in a sport like baseball, it changes in and out, um, especially when even if you're looking at something like the top five, if you point at who are the top, the, the top five players in the game of baseball, that conversation changes from year to year to year to year. I think this, this from 2022 to 2023 is the clearest example of like what looks to be, you know, a, a, a two year sample size of where Shohei Otani and Aaron Judge are clearly the two best players in the game of baseball ahead of everyone else. That include, you know, it, we're not talking about who would you take for the next 10 years. We're just talking about this two year sample. It's not Tatis Jr. It's not Okuna Jr. It's not Soto. It's not any of these guys. It's been Aaron Judge and Shohei Otani. I think that the conversation of MVP definitely stops right there at this point for the AL. I mean, again, Shohei Otani is the current front runner. Aaron Judge is right behind him. Whoever you want to put at three is way behind the both of them at this yeah. point in the season. Um, the thing that would be tough is, what, like, like you said, what would Aaron Judge have to do? Because I always, I always have that question of when I look at it, I say, what do you have to do to beat Shohei Otani to beat MVP? I answered it last season. You have to have a historic season, yeah. a history-breaking season. That's what Aaron Judge did, right? Now, now the question kind of becomes, you know, what do you have to do to beat Aaron Judge for the MVP? Well, you, in your own sense, have to do something that has never really been seen in the MLB before, which, again, only Shohei Otani is doing when you talk about Aaron Judge as a player. I think, I think it's going to... If it stays a normal season, and what I mean by that is Let's say Aaron Judge finishes the season with even even let's say he gets 50 homers, you know, a good RBI numbers, 
obviously, you know, high 900s, close to 1,000 OPS, whatever. Um, I think Aaron Judge finishes second in the MVP this year simply because I think I think the voters are going to be like, okay, last year, you know, Otani did have a strong argument, even with Judge's historic season. This year, if he does put up good stats, like we're probably going to give him the award. Judge will finish second. I will say this. It'll be crazy to think about what would happen if Judge pursues his own record. I mean, if we're if we get to a point where we get to the end of the season and Aaron Judge is pushing, you know, oh, we're mid-September and Aaron Judge is at like 58, you know, or something like that. Like, yo, I don't know, man. That That's where the conversation becomes tough because then at that point, I'm going to have to look at Otani's number. Like I've said before, I understand that Shohei Otani is a great pitcher and he's a great hitter. But when you're talking about the MVP discussion, we can always say, you know, Shohei Otani is the best overall player in the game. But when you're talking about the MVP discussion, somewhere in there, depending on on the teams and the players that you're comparing, you always have that win-loss discussion, right? Like, okay, there have been years where a clear MVP has come out and their team has not made the postseason. But when you have kind of stars at this level of a Shohei Otani, of an Aaron uh, Judge, of a, you know, Jose Ramirez, Jordan Alvarez, you're always going to have that discussion of "Hmm, how has this team looked with this player, without this player. Since Aaron Judge came back from injury, the Yankees are 15-7. and They're 18-1 and on the year whenever he hits a home run. Um, I think he's as necessary of a player um, throughout the league. I I think, dude, I think honestly, again, not just trying to say this because we're Yankee fans, but I think when you look at the teams around the, the league that you view as teams that are headed, you know, for the playoffs, I think the Yankees are like one of the most fragile teams if Aaron Judge goes down. Like if Aaron Judge goes down, the Yankee season is pretty much wrap it up like we're like we're good. We're probably not pushing towards the playoff. If we do, we'll sneak in there as a third wild card potentially. But it, our season pretty much stops and goes depending on how far Aaron Judge goes. And I know people will want to bring up his, you know, playoff stats and everything like that. But I think the reality at the end of the day is even if Aaron Judge performs at this level in the regular season, and it doesn't replicate in the postseason, we still have to look at Aaron Judge as the superstar that he is because the Yankees don't go that far without him to begin with. So if he struggles, it's not like we're going to be in the postseason either way to see him struggle. So I think his importance is clear there. But if you had if you had to ask me today, I would say he's going to have another elite season. He probably finishes somewhere in the in the I would say I would say if he stays hot, 50 to 55 homers is not out of the, to out of the question. Um, at that point, like I mentioned the other day, he would become the fifth player in MLB history to have 350 homer seasons. You only have Ruth, A-Rod, McGuire, and Sosa who accomplished that feat. Um, so again, he's in elite company. He, he's already joined the elite company conversation. He will always remain there because he is the AL home run leader. And at this point in the game of baseball, I don't see anyone breaking that record unless it's Aaron Judge going for his own record. That's just the reality that we're in. And Shohei Otani just has to keep his numbers up because if Shohei Otani is pitching out there to the tune of a 3.3, 3.4 ERA, right? And then, okay, he has a, a good offensive season, 800-something OPS. Again, that always comes into question. Is that enough to beat someone like Aaron Judge who might put the best offensive numbers up that you've seen again? Dude, I, I agree with you. And this is going to be a – this is a hard take to say because I don't think it should be the way it works. But I think it, it just is the way we – we think as a society, if Shohei Otani doesn't win or, or come, let's say, top three in the Cy Young Award voting, I don't think he'll get that many votes towards his MVP campaign. Um, unless, you know, 
again, barring like a 50 home run season from Otani himself, right? Um, I think last year, last year the pressure was like you said, hey, you have to do something in stores to beat Otani. I think this year is the case too, where like you have to show that you can match Aaron Judge at least to a historic to that historic pace. And to your point, no one can do that offensively. Like it, it's not, it, it's not being kind of again, it's not being a homer. Show me someone in the last twenty years who has done what Aaron Judge has done. You, you can't. Right, even even your high home run guys, who we think as your power hitters, they're not sniffing fifty. And if they are, they're not sniffing it two seasons for two seasons. Aaron Judge is literally about to hit his third season of of fifty plus home runs right now. We we might see a a, a situation where he has back to back sixty home run seasons. I don't think that's out of the question. The craziest part about this is that he's doing it with all those other numbers too. Right, he's not just a home run hitter. He he's doing it with a three hundred average. When at the end of this year, he's probably going to hit over three hundred again. So it's not just like he's doing it one way. And the difference between – I'm glad you brought up guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Ronald Cunha Jr. The difference between uh, like an Aaron Judge, an Alex Rodriguez, uh, a Barry Bonds, a – I'm not going to say Sammy Sosa, but uh, th- those elite hitters that we think about uh, when we think about elite hitting, right, those next-level guys is not only do they have the, the tools to do it, right, so you can see it in their swing, they have the, you know, think King Griffey Jr., the difference is they also do it in like the walk department. They also do it in the clutch hitting department, which I'm not saying that Acuna Jr. and Tatis don't do it, but we haven't really seen it, at least not to, to an extended period of time. We both know that Acuna Jr. and Tatis Jr. just don't have the plate discipline yet, which is why people get so excited about Juan Soto. Because Juan Soto is the other way, where he shows that elite plate discipline. He shows that elite kind of clutch gene. He just doesn't have the numbers to back it up, right? Like, like, if Juan Soto was a consistent, even 35 home run hitter, we'd be looking at him in a different stratosphere, which, you know, all that just to say, Judge is just so special. And we, I think we got to, re- like, realistically sit down and say, look, we're looking at a, a historic, t- like, run of, of a career that we might not see for a long time again. Because I'll be honest with you, if the guy's hitting today, I don't know if we see someone else in this league put up two two seasons of 50-plus home runs. Like, I'm looking at, like, Jordan Alvarez right now. Like, how many home runs did he hit last year? And he's probably your, your best hitter. He hit 37, right? And I think you can arguably say he, he was your second best hitter in the AL. Um, in, in the NL, Kyle Schwarber, 39. You're telling me that your next best hitter is 20 home runs away from, from the top guy? And the top guy also happens to hit over 300? Like, it, it, it's nuts, man. Um, I hope I hope we we're appreciating what we're watching because th- there's gonna be an ESPN uh twenty for twenty or whatever the hell they call it thirty for thirty, what some number for some number that is gonna be right. about like Aaron Judge's part of his career and again not that comparisons suck I think sometimes but you saw a play like yesterday going through the fence I don't know about you man first thing I thought was Jeter in the stands was like you know when, when I saw that like no nah, it. I, Dude, it's one of those plays. It was it was one of those plays too, and, and I'm glad you brought up Jeter because, um, you know, it's a conversation that we've had before where Aaron Judge defense is definitely undervalued in in terms of in terms of the general conversation in the baseball world. Um, the fact that Aaron Judge still doesn't have a Gold Glove is kind of like like you're talking about a guy who's six seven, and it, and can play center field, right field, like effortlessly, just out there, just playing good defense. 
Um, but in terms of the of the Jeter comp, like not just on that defensive play, but you know, overall now that he now that it's not just assumed, you know, the Yankee captain, but realistically the the actual Yankee captain. Uh, we've said it before, man. You know, it's it's interesting to look at Aaron Judge as a player because again, it's not to be a homer. Aaron Judge should just be appreciated by like everyone who is a who is a fan of the sport of baseball, right? He's a player who he won't be he won't be in that conversation of of people, you know, saying, "Oh, Derek Jeter is overrated." Okay. Just because you follow some type of narrative that the national media pushes and the and the national media ranks Jeter as this, you know, amazingly over the top player, Aaron Judge is actually that. Like Aaron Judge yeah. is in the conversation for the the face even with someone as powerful as Shohei Otani, and again, not, not trying to take away anything from Shohei Otani because he is the, the absolute superstar that he is. And I would still pick him as the, you know, in terms of the face of the sport, like Aaron Judge is right there in the same billboard with him. You know, like like right. in terms of his stature, in terms of where he plays, in terms of his status as the Yankee captain, he's a player who's respected amongst the sport. You haven't heard players come out and say bad things about Aaron Judge. Again, we don't know what his career is going to finish like, but it's it's kind of like he's going to be that that player that I think is going to end up being underappreciated because when we look at his stats and again I'm not saying overall stats because we all know he started a little late so I'm not saying Aaron Judge is going to hit 700 career home runs no I'm not I'm just talking about his stats from like a, a per season to per season basis he's going to be in that conversation like he already is with your A Rods with your Barry Bonds with your Babe Ruths with your Mickey Mantles with your Ted Williams of the world. And I don't think people are going to appreciate it enough because a lot of the players that are in that conversation have little things that you have to talk about, right? Like with Barry Bonds, there will always be the PD suspicion. With with um, with A Rod, there will be the PD confession. You know, like all of these players have PDs attached to them. You might be talking about one of the greatest players that we've ever seen on the offensive end of the sport. His defense is great, but in terms of the offensive numbers that he puts up. You might be talking about one of the best offensive players we've ever seen in that universe that people don't appreciate enough. And a lot, I mean, look, if we're being real, a lot of it is is because he's a Yankee, right? Like people oh, will always like have their little bit yeah. of hate, but we have to we have to appreciate the type of season that Aaron Judge is having and the type of of player that he's becoming before our eyes. It's nuts, man. He hasn't even played ten seasons yet, and he's at two hundred thirty nine home runs. He's got more left on his contract than he, what he's already played. If he just doubles that, he's going to be at around 500, right? So I think I think yeah. it's, you know, does that happen? I don't know. If, you, if you're hitting fucking 60 home runs a season, you're on good pace for that shit, right? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know just, just one last thing to close this, the, the, the Dodgers and Yankees out, man. I think it, it, if you're like a historian and you look at this Yankee team like 50 years from now and you just look at the names on it, um, you know, like Josh Donaldson, we know that he's not the MVP Josh Donaldson. But what I've said before is, like, like this guy's a former MVP. Do I think he's going to play to that level? Hell fucking no. But if you look at him just in the lineup, man, you have him, you have Giancarlo coming back. Uh, you know, first day back, hits a homer off Kershaw, right? I think when you mentioned undervalued guys, Giancarlo's an other guy who became undervalued once he put the pinstripes on. Because now it's like, oh, you're either 50, hitting 50 home runs or you're overpaid and you suck. Right, like there's no in between, uh. So you know that's something that Giancarlo's gonna have to deal with for the rest of his career. But he's he's whenever he's healthy, he's productive as hell. Other guys, DJ Lemayhew, is on that is in that same lineup, right? Anthony Rizzo in that same lineup. Just guys that 
when you look at it and as far as like the history of baseball, you have MVPs, you have World Series champions, you have you have guys who have done really great stuff in the sport and you know, I, I know that you don't win championships for what you've done in the past. You do it for, for what you can do that season. But it's kind of crazy to look at the, the, the roster construction of it. Um, it's just, just just fun to look at the names sometimes, really. Let's move on to something that's not so fun, though. And and this one this one sucks hard because we, we haven't seen him pitch in a few years. And we're, gonna be, we're talking about Steven Strasburg, man. Uh, I'm just going to come out and ask you, do you think we ever see Steven Strasburg on a mound again? Oh man, um, ooh, I would say I, I would say I would want to see it. You know, it'd be because at, at this point, what it's turned into is it would be a great comeback story. Um, that's the reality of it. Um, but I, I don't know, man. I was, you know, when I when I heard a couple of days ago that the Nationals were shutting him down for, I, I, I was just, you know, when I saw the headline originally, I was like, oh, you know, this is like one of your standard you know, headlines like, oh, this guy's been shut down for the season. Not like I expected Steven Strasburg to pitch this year anyway for the Nationals. So I was like, whatever. But then I followed up and I saw that, you know, they were talking about, oh, he met the Nationals fear that he may never pitch again. And, you know, it's such a sad thing to think about because um, we've had the conversation before on on this show of, of you know, when you look at the at a team like the Nationals, the Nationals hit the lottery twice. In terms of like what a lot of people were expecting as like top prospects, they they hit on Bryce Harper, they hit on Steven Strasburg, who we know like Steven Strasburg's first MLB start was like I remember having that on on the TV, you know yeah. that was hyped to an incredible level, um, and he came out and he delivered. Um, so and, and even if I, I think it's sad for his career if he doesn't end up pitching again because it's not like he wasn't what was promised in a weird way. Like whenever Steven Strasburg was out there pitching, he was still a very effective pitcher. It's just when whenever he was injured, he was out. You know, you didn't have him in your rotation. But if you look at his career, 113 wins, 3.24 ERA, even with his injury issues and everything like that, it's not like he was out there being a bad pitcher. Um, and then you see, it, it's it's a very solid career. I think you know when you look at at his career as a total, the three time All Star, three time top ten in NL Cy Young voting. World Series champion, World Series MVP. That's a career that a lot of people would have. If you compare what his career turned out to be, if this is it, compared to the expectations people had, like you could still say he had a very good career. Maybe he didn't have the the Hall of Fame level career that a lot of people um, were expecting, but he still did a, a a very solid job for the for the Nationals. But I, I think, to be honest with you, man, it's tough. You know, you see, you saw him sign that big. $245 million extension with the Nationals after after coming off that World Series title. We've only seen seen him make eight starts in the last three seasons. Um, that's not, you know, and now you're going to be shut down for the rest of the year here as well. So I don't know. You're, you're probably talking about a situation where he still has even another year on top of that to, to have to reach some point of recovery because they're saying it's severe nerve damage. He did have... Um, you know, surgery uh, done recently for uh, what was thoracic outlet syndrome. But again, that's that's mainly a situation where your nerves are are being compressed. And that's essentially where he's feeling pain. It's not just that he's having, you know, like an issue with his arm or anything like that. It's that he's feeling pain in his neck and his shoulder and everything whenever he's trying to go through, even when he's just trying to do these rehab assignments, right? Not even getting close to a point of returning to the major league level, but we're talking about a situation where he's not even able to fully do his rehab activities because the pain is just so strong. So it, it's tough, man. I, I think this probably is the end of Steven Strasburg unless 
you know, there is some type of, of medical advance out there that, that we might be seeing that, that leads to some type of, of more speedy recovery. But I do just want to say that if this is the end, I mean, we saw a pretty solid career for what it was. And, and again, you can't take anything away from a World Series champion and a guy who was, who was key in winning that title to begin with. The crazy part about Steven Strasburg is I don't know if anyone ever see, saw him as like a top one or two pitcher or top five pitcher uh, any year. And part of it was he was always kind of nicked up in, in some way or another. Right? Like he was always kind of the injury-prone guy. Um, you know, he, he pitched – I'm looking at his stats right now, right? Like there was a couple – there's about three seasons, four seasons that he pitched over – Actually, no, look, five seasons they pitched over, over 20, 25 games. So, I mean, over 20 games. So, that's a good amount, right? Especially in today's environment. But the numbers that are connected to when he did start, they were always good. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look through through it and see, if, like, oh, this was a bad season. No, like, every season was every season was at the least something that you'd want out of the very least a two starter, right? So, even if he's not your ace, as a, as a number two, you'd absolutely take these numbers no matter who that person was. We know he was instrumental in, in that World Series run. The 2019 World Series with, with for the Nationals is going to go down as your one of your biggest head-scratching, but you can see how they won it kind of World Series, where if you tell someone, oh, this is about pitching and defense, well, they had the pitching. You had, you had Steven Strasburg, who absolutely showed out that year. You had Max Scherzer, who, you know, we all know Max Scherzer. We don't really go too much about that. And then Patrick Corbin, right, who, who, you know, we talked about a little bit last week, but he he was so instrumental during that year that that three-headed monster had Animal Sanchez, you know, pitching kind of out of his mind, too, that during that span. And you win a World Series that way. You know, you also had guys like Rendon and Soto and Turner and stuff like that. But, you know, my, my point with Strasburg is it's, you're absolutely right, man. It was historic. Like his his first MLB start, it was kind of like where LeBron James first got to NBA, where ESPN stopped, MLB Network stopped, all the sports networks stopped, and they were like, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hone in and, and watch Steven Strasburg's first pitch." Like we knew we were we were seeing something special. Uh, the year before that, we had seen Bryce Harper do something similar. So it was like the the, 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 the what's it called the crypto set kind of. But this, this is sad, man, honestly. He's only 33 years old right now. Uh, well, he's 34. We haven't seen him pitch since his age 30, 29, yeah, age 30 season, which was that World Series season. It's just sad to see, man. Like, I, I don't know. Like, it, you, you always feel bad because you know the talent's there. You know that he's a big name to the sport. So it's like, you know, you want to see those guys out there. But if he's experiencing the pain that he says he's experiencing, which is like, dude, my shit's about to fall off every time I pick up a ball. It might be time to, to, to call it quits, right? Like, you know, pe- people don't understand this, but when something happens like that to a player, uh, these baseball teams have insurance out on their players. So, you know, yes, it affects the payroll, but it doesn't affect, like, like that money's not coming out of the national pocket, right? Some insurance agency out there is paying uh, Steven Strasburg for, for the rest of his career if he ends up not, not pitching again. No, well, well, let, let me, I don't mean, I don't mean to correct you on that, but I, I did see something this morning where they said, where they said that the nationals were actually unable to find an insurance oh. company to cover the contract. So they're actually on hook for the remainder of the three wow. years on his deal. 
which would point to his injuries being, you know, slightly more on the serious end that no company would want to ensure that the rest of the remainder of that deal. Um, you know, and, and look, I'm, I'm going to say this because I, I think it's important to not just highlight Steven Strasburg, but highlight the Nationals as well. When you look at, because you mentioned it yourself, right? You will always look back at 2019 and the, and the title that the, that the Nationals won as a weird one because again you can understand how they got it done like you said i completely agree but if a lot of us remember at the at the midpoint of that season like i was talking about the nationals trading max scherzer like i was like you should look to trade scherzer because you're not going anywhere and then they just they got into there as as you know a wild card team and then just went on a world series run um so it's definitely impressive in that end but you, you see also see it as the decisions that were made for that team were just so like kind of strange when you actually look at everything because it's like you went and you won a World Series, right? And then as soon as you got that done out of the way, like let's let's for, let's not forget the fact that you lost Bryce Harper in the previous season, right? Like okay, you won a World Series, so you kind of forget about that. But at the but then you won a World Series, you let Anthony, you didn't pay Anthony Rendon, which again Anthony Rendon turned into whatever he turned into with the Angels, but you didn't pay Anthony, Anthony Rendon. You decided not to pay Trey Turner. You decided not to pay Max Scherzer. Um, you decided not to pay Juan Soto, right? But two of your biggest contracts that you decided to give out in recent seasons were to Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin, who, for for different reasons, right? Steven Strasburg with the injury history and for Patrick Corbin for what he's actually been out there doing pitching are two of like the the two guys that you can rank lowest on the starting pitching end. And those were two of the big contracts that they actually did decide to give out. I mean, I'm not saying they're in a horrible spot because they definitely have some promising prospects. But at the same time, it's like you have to look at back at some of those decisions like, wow, what were you thinking when those decisions were done? This is going to sound weird, man, but I think like I, I feel like I'm I'm kind of alone. I like the way the Nationals are run. I, you know, I don't know if, if look, the Juan Soto thing, we have so many years to discuss what happened to Juan Soto that we'll be looking back at this and discussing this 10 years down, down the line. Right. Um. So so you know we'll, let's just save that. But everything else, like you mentioned, you mentioned their signings. They they don't win that World Series without signing Patrick Corbin. And and I would argue that if they decided to keep Bryce Harper instead of going after Patrick Corbin, they don't win that World Series. Because as amazing as Bryce Harper is, one thing he doesn't do is pitch. Uh, like he has his own ACL pro- like UCL problems, right? Like he had Tommy John. Um. But you know, to, just to, to mention those moves, though. Look, Rendon's been trashed, right? Like, like Rendon has not been worth that contract. He hasn't been worth half that contract. You, you look at Trey Turner, like, you know, obviously, you know, he's went to the Dodgers. I think he did well with the Dodgers. But if you look at him this year, this year he's, he's been kind of awful, right? Like, and, and granted, it doesn't mean he's going to stay awful. Other guys that we talked about, he, remember um, Schwarber. Schwarber went to the Nationals for a year. Kevin Long fixed him. And then they said, "Yeah, well, we're just gonna trade you away, so it doesn't matter." But like, I feel, I feel like they've had, they've made moves in the past that you look at it and it's like, that might not be the smartest thing, but for some, for somehow it works out for the Nationals. And does that mean that we'll see a Nationals World Series winner again in ten years? I don't, I don't know, right? Like, I, I, I know I've said it before. I like the guys they got from the Padres. I think they have some, some real kind of superstar potential there with James Wood and, and Jarlene Susanna and stuff like that. I think those two guys specifically can do 
will do amazing things for that organization. But this year, they're a team that should be absolutely garbage. They're not. They're competitive. They're giving the Mets fits, right? Like, like if the Mets, if, if, they, if the, if the, if they told right, that, 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 Mets, that's a low standard, though. That's a low standard because there's a lot of teams that give the Mets issues, right? Like, like, if, if you tell the Mets, hey man, we're gonna drop the Nationals from your schedule, they'd be like, oh damn it! Like, they don't really want them. Like, yes, yes, I need to stop playing those guys. Uh, but you know, I don't know, man. Like, I, I think those are one of those organizations that, because of money, because that, you have to remember too, like the team itself is for sale. I don't know if they sold it yet. I don't know where they're at with that, right? I'm pretty sure their owners, like, the, the new buyers, are like, you guys going to get insurance for fucking, like, Strasburg? I don't want to buy this shit. But, but my point is, though, you know, we got to remember this was an expansion team. And as far as expansion teams go, the only team that I can think of that has been as successful was the Marlins, right? Marlins come out, and they win in, in was it, 97 or 98, whatever that year was, and then they win again in 2003. Aside from them, I can't really think, like, Colorado Rockies, like what they've made one, one playoff, one playoff since like '98, like that's not really successful for an expansion team. The Rays, can you consider the Rays a successful expansion team? I, I don't think you can. Like, I don't know. So, I, I like the Nationals in the direction, man. I hope Steven Strasburg. Look, I, I'm not gonna say I hope Steven Strasburg pitches again because I think when it comes to injuries, it's one of those things where look, if you're if it's that bad, like quality of life at that point. Right, if you're yeah, gonna absolutely. pitch another year, but you're not gonna be able to comb your hair because you can't put your your fucking elbow above your shoulder, then let's let's fucking call it a day, bro. Like you you you've made your money. He, I think one of the things that is underrated about his impact into the game was he was one of the first prospects that came in throwing about like a hundred miles per hour. I, I don't know if you remember that that like yeah, it was rare in 20, 2011, 2010 right. to throw miles per hour. Right, and and he was one of the first guys that was doing that at the college level, which was why he had so much hype coming in. Right, not now we see fucking Ben Joyce coming in as a third reliever throwing 105. Right, but but in 2010 it was like a big deal that you had a starting pitcher nonetheless uh, throwing yeah. 100 miles per hour. We only saw that from guys like Verlander, who at that point Verlander was winning MVPs for God's sakes. So you know it, it was just super special. We saw and it was it, I feel like it kicked off part of a. a Everyone's throwing hundred revolution, right? Uh, just a little bit more backstory on Strasburg. He was like a big fat kid, right? Before college, uh, like he he was not uh, someone that you physically looked at as a first round pick. And goes to San Diego, works on his body, uh, works on his velocity was kind of the big thing that he that he worked on. And you know he showed that you can do it. I think a lot of people followed that kind of roadmap, started throwing above hundred, and. What I'll say this, one of the one of the concerns with it was this injury thing. Right. And I think as we talk to to people in baseball now who are looking for like these prospects and these kids, it's like we have more kids throwing ninety-five plus in high school than we ever had in our history. But are they gonna have long careers? And you know, I, I don't know, I think that we're I think we're still too early to, to know what whether or not that's gonna that happen or not. Um but we'll we'll see, man. Let's look at another. We we talked. I just mentioned the Marlins, and the Marlins still exist, even though they're they're on their 18th logo. The Marlins are are doing pretty good this year. I remember earlier on this year when when the season started, we have we have a friend on another podcast. Uh, I think it's called what Tap 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 Root. What what's Jordan's podcast name? Tap Root. Like tap. Yeah, it's a Tap Root. Okay, tap Root Sports. Yeah. Where where if you if you like betting stuff like that, that's a great podcast to listen to. He and and his um, like. People that's on what do you call them? Guests, yeah, I mean, guests uh, regularly talk about uh, different 
betting for different sports and they'll drop money lines for you, right? It's not betting advice unless it is. I don't, I don't know what, what the real rule there is. But anyway, one thing that he said early on this season, which we kind of gave him shit for, was the Marlins winning the, the NL East. While the Marlins probably still won't win the NL East because the Atlanta Braves exist, they have had a really good season so far. As of right now, they're second in the wild card, and they're doing it behind the back of guys like Luis Reyes, who has been a topic of conversation a lot on this podcast, uh, Jorge Soler, and Yuri Perez, who came, who came up and is kind of killing it, man. What have you seen from the Marlins so far, and do you think it's sustainable? Yeah, man. It, there's... There's a lot of good things to to talk about with the Marlins. I, again, when we ask the question, do you think it's sustainable? Like, I I look at it like, when do I see them having like some type of window? I still see the Marlins probably being like, if you ask me honestly, probably like two or three years away from like making real noise. Um, just because I I do think that some of their younger players still need a little bit more development. You want to give them a little bit more of that development time in the in the uh, in the major leagues. And let's be honest, at the end of the day, like. I think a lot of us have like our predictions, um, you know, on a lot of, of the baseball teams. But if you're just, you know, frankly looking at it, like who every every year that you come in, you know, if you're coming into next season, the Marlins aren't automatically jumping off the page to you as like one of the overall playoff contenders, World Series contenders, like right out the gate from the season. I still I still think they have a little bit of work to do. But I think, look, the organization has improved a lot um, ever since they got their new uh, general uh, manager. Um, they've been making a lot of good moves and a lot of underrated moves. They they're getting performances for a lot of, from a lot of their underrated players. If you look at like their outfielders, you know, everyone, I think we focus a lot on, on jazz, right? Like, and we've talked about it before a little bit where like jazz is still just such a, a major question mark. Um, and, it, but again, we have him the way that we do because of his personality, right? Jazz Chisholm Absolutely. is is a, is a great personality for the game. Um, he's definitely the type of baseball player that the baseball world needs. However, he's also not a player that like you're automatically looking at like, hey, this guy is a is a top five second baseman in 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 the game of baseball. I don't know if he was when he was at second base. He got moved to the outfield after the Luis Arias acquisition, and again, we automatically said like he's probably not a top twenty outfielder. Like if if you look at the outfielders that are currently there at, at this moment in time. Um, and he hasn't put up the offensive stats, you know, to point to to any significant sample size that you can look at and be like, this is the type of player that Jazz Chisholm is going to be. We don't really know. Like, he can be a little more elevated. He can have a lower floor than a lot of people have him having. Um, again, is he going to be a consistent 600 OPS guy, 700 OPS? Can he have his season here or there where he's in the 800s? Like, sure, but we don't know what type of, of consistent... Um, ball play he's going to bring to this Marlins team um it might sound look it, it, I know that it might sound like a little drastic but I was looking at it today right and I, I this team is far from completion but like you mentioned look they acquired Luis Luis Arias who again is one of is one of the most underrated hitters in the game of baseball currently still hitting 390 leading the leading the entire major league in batting average um he he's going to be a, a huge piece of that lineup and again not a guy that you're looking out here to be like oh this guy's a home run threat I think one of the things that we've seen this season that's more key for him is his slugging numbers are way up. He's hitting a lot. He's already uh, at the halfway mark of the amount of doubles that he hit last season in like a third of the games. Uh, so he he's doing a lot more on the power end, even if the ball isn't going over the fence. He's getting himself on base more than he was last season. 
again, when you're basically hitting almost 400, you're doing pretty much what, what this team asked for when they traded for you, especially when they gave up an arm like Pablo Lopez, right, to the Minnesota Twins. Um, so Luis Arias on, in that end has been doing his thing. Jorge Soler getting back to his homer hitting stride. Again, Jorge Soler is not a player that's going to jump off the page at you. But what he is going to do is when he's on, he can definitely put the ball over the fence. That's what he's been doing this season, tied for third in the NL in home runs. Um, so he's been giving them a lot of good ABs. You look at some of their other players, right? Like you look at the outfield, Jesus Sanchez has been filling in. You have Brian De La Cruz who are putting up like decent numbers. So my question is, do you think the Marlins ever consider like taking a step back and putting Jazz on the trade market? Not necessarily maybe this season, but I'm at the point where if you can get like a good first half from Jazz in a season, I might consider putting him out there and seeing what you can get. Because again, I don't know if, don't get me wrong. Again, great personality for the game. A type of player that you would definitely want on your team. However, is he the type of player that you want to build a whole franchise around? And I would have to lean no at this moment in time because he hasn't put up a sample size that I'm overly impressed with. Man, so like, I'm with you on this, right? I think Jazz is great for baseball as far as great personality, right? He's a dude that brings practice the game he's got swag as the kids say uh but when it comes yeah, to not the grandpa to, of the show <laughs> you know i don't know what nick calls it swagger um no but <laughs> jet jet chisel man like like he's he's improved steadily in the outfield right where beginning of the year he looked lost not that he looked lost out there but there's a lot of plays that outfielders routinely make that he just looked really bad on He's made some great plays out there, which shows you that he has the athleticism to play center, which also means that, look, the more he plays out there, the better he's going to get. He's already a plus defender. That probably only gets better. Offensively, though, I've yet to see anything that makes me think, yes, this is someone that I think should be in the middle of my lineup. Or, yes, this is someone that I think makes some kind of change to my lineup, right? Again, go back to fucking Mariners test. If you throw him in the middle of the Mariners lineup, are you any happier if you're a Mariners fan? Probably not, right? Like, you got you got some cooler jerseys to sell, right? Like, you got a great personality on that team, but is your lineup better? I would argue it, it kind of still is where it is, right? Like, you know, for, for Jazz right now, his, like you mentioned, his OPS is sitting around 700. He's got seven home runs. I don't think Jazz is a power hitter, per se, right? Like I think at best you're looking at someone who's going to hit 20 to 25 home runs in, in his best offensive seasons uh doesn't necessarily have great contact skills either right so like you know Luis Arias is the inverse of that who, who is hitting 400 even though he doesn't have pop right he he makes it happen um I think the bigger problem is just like who who can you realistically get one of the the guys you mentioned so far uh, one of the guys you mentioned previously was JD Martinez when we were talking about the Dodgers, he's someone that I think if you put in the middle of a lineup like this, drastically changes the way you look at this offense. You're not going to do that, though. You already have too many guys that have to DH, right? Um, you know, you mentioned some of these other guys. Jesus Sanchez. Super excited for Jesus Sanchez. I think if you're looking at a guy who, oh, what's the potential with this team? I have more faith in, in, in Jesus Sanchez than I do Jazz Chisholm Jr., and whether that's right or wrong, you know, you can debate that some, you know, amongst yourselves, right? But for me, offensively at least, Jesus Sanchez, I would rather have Jesus than Jazz Chisholm at this point in the season. 
the rest of this offense, it, it's, 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 you know, it's a bunch of role guys that's missing a superstar, in my opinion. Right? Like, you don't have, you don't have that guy that scares you when he comes up to bat. Jorge Soler, he, he's a great hitter, but he's hot and cold. Like, we've seen some cold periods of Jorge Soler that's like, is this man going to hit a baseball ever again? Right? And, and, yeah, he's been doing great for, for Miami so far. But is there a time where that doesn't happen this year? Right? Uh, even in their farm system, there's not one offensive player that I'm like, he's going to come up and he's going to be a game changer for them. Which, which, you know, when it comes to crazy shit that I think about, I would love Juan Soto to be in, in a Marlins uniform. If you, if you tell me they have Juan Soto, that's another guy that's like, okay, this is this is a very different lineup now, right? Because you have guys getting on base in front of Juan Soto that are going to be able to do something. Other guys, like, you know, you've mentioned previously, like, I, you don't think that Fernando T. Jr. can coexist in that Padres team. You think that they, they might potentially look to trade him. I'd love to see him in Miami uniform. I, I think that's another game changer, right? You know, but looking at, at like, realistic things to happen, as far as in the next year or, or next two years, I don't really know if that guy's out there, right? Like, I'm sorry to tell you, I don't think Shahil Tiny is going to stop. It just doesn't seem to me like that's some, yeah. somewhere he's going, right? Um, you know, CJ Kwan, I mentioned earlier this year. If you bring him out there to, to Miami, I do think that does kind of change the conversation a little bit. But is it enough? I, I don't think it is, right? Like, so they're, they're, in a, they're in a hard place where they have a lot of pieces that, I would consider role pieces. They don't have many guys that I'm like, yes, this is the best guy at their position or this is a top five guy in their position. But they have enough guys that would probably be 15 through 20 or, or, or 10 through 15 in their position. That's like, okay, we can win, we can win some games. You also got to think about what's around them, though, right? Like the Mets are going nowhere anytime soon, right? Like the guy, um, Cohen wants to spend money. So you have to overtake that. Atlanta is the best organization in baseball. You know I mean, they have multiple guys who would go into this lineup and be the best player in this lineup, right? Like, even if you put Sean Murphy, who's probably the fourth or fifth best hitter in that lineup, and you put him on the Marlins, he's their best hitter, right? Like, so you have to, like, yeah. think about it that way, too. So, you know, I, I don't know, you know, what's their what's their window? Do they have a window? It's it, tough. It, it, it's it tough. tough. I, I agree. I agree with you on the direction that they need to go. Like, yes, you, you need to acquire a superstar. But like you mentioned, the difficulty is, is there a road for you to get there? And that's a question that's still not, you can't answer it directly because, again, I would say you have to, you have to bet on a Jazz breakout first half in like an upcoming season where, you, where Jazz has to be the piece that's headed, the, one of the central pieces that's headed out in a trade. Because look, we know what Miami has is excess of arms. So if you're going to trade for a superstar, you're going to have to include one of your top arms in, in that package as well. Um, again, you, even, even with, the, with the down year that he's having, you probably want to keep a Sandy Alcantara, especially after you just traded Pablo Lopez. Um, so it's probably going to be one of the other arms. You include a package that's headlined by a Jazz, one of those arms, probably got to include another arm or, or, or one of the top bats from, from the prospects as well. Like if you're talking about acquiring a superstar, and again, it's difficult because you don't know who's going to be available. You're not getting, look, realistically, you're not getting a Shohei. You're not getting an Aaron Judge. You're not getting a Mookie Betts. You're not getting like even a Freddie Freeman. Like your best bet is, I mean, I don't even know if, you, if you're if you able to get, uh, uh, depending on, on how, why you want to call I don't know that you get a Francisco Lindor or a Pete Alonzo from the Mets 
Like, I don't know that you put a, a package together like that to definitely not an Acuna Jr. I don't, I don't know if the Padres, the Padres, we would have to see, right? Like, my, my thing with the Padres is if the Padres go and win a title, let's say the Padres win a title within the next two or three years, right? Are they satisfied with winning a title that they're just like, uh, we're, we're good not paying so much high money anymore, right? Because like, okay, we got, we got our title out the way. Now, we, are we good letting one of these guys go, right? And I've said before, I don't think it's going to be Machado. I don't think it's going to be Bogarts who they just signed to a deal. Yeah. I think, it, and then if you think about value going back to a team that's going to bring you back a superstar level package, Juan Soto and Fernando Tati Jr. are both, like, when everyone is clicking, Juan Soto and Fernando Tati Jr. are over Manny Machado and Dan Bogarts easily. So they would bring you back the, the better package. But again, I don't know if the Marlins have the pieces to pull it off. And I'll throw, I'll throw this out there too. I don't know what direction the Marlins are heading. Like I, I can see them heading towards like contention, but at the same time, are you willing to spend money? Cause I don't know. That's still the question. We're talking about trading for a superstar. Are you willing to pay a superstar to be in Miami is the real question. Because like, if you do acquire a Tati Jr. or Juan Soto or a player of that caliber, you're looking at three, $400 million. And is that the direction that the Marlins are ready to go? It's tough with the Marlins. You got to think about it this way too. It's like, they're in a like like you're in Florida, but like where, where the Marlins are, they're not really in the central part of Florida. It's not right. like like American Airlines Arena that's like literally in the, in the middle of South Beach, right? Like the Heat will always have fans, just because even just the yeah. tourists passing by will go and just watch the games, bro. Like Marlins are in in the boonies, right? Like you don't like people don't walk by Marlins Park. Like it's it's like in the middle of of like this weird swamp in Florida. Where it's kind of a hassle to get to, so you know, do you, you don't like right now you don't have the stars to get the fan base there. And if you don't have the fans to get, the, if you don't have the, the the stars to get the fan base there, then you're not gonna have people coming to your games. And that's one of the issues that that Derek Jeter talked about, right? Where you know it was hard to get people there, and, and it was hard to get the Marlins ownership to spend money because of that, because they're like they didn't see the the roadway of if we spend this money. We get this investment back, man, and, and look at like recent history, man. When we talk about Yelich, we talk we talk about Stanton. That that those are dude, those are as superstar as it gets. Like honestly, especially around that time, uh, Yelich was a little bit before that, but uh, but like Giancarlo had won an MVP there, and they still couldn't get people to, to play there. You know, uh, I don't know what they do. To, to be honest with you, I think you gotta like look around and and see if there's there's gonna be twenty nine other teams. Going after Juan Soto, right? Or or not really? Maybe maybe like fifteen that might at least dip their toe in it, and probably six or seven realistic ones. So are, are they going to be one of those teams? I don't know, right? Like like if you're Dominican, you, you'll probably enjoy Fuji's like Miami. So you, like maybe he, he thinks about it, but yeah, uh, it, it's I think the per though, dude the perfect star for them the perfect star for them is not going to be available. Because if we, if we were just talking about a guy to put in the middle of their lineup who would be great to have out in Miami and would probably fill in a bunch of more of those seats in terms of how we see this guy turning out, probably looking at a Jordan Alvarez out in Houston. Houston's not giving up a Jordan Alvarez. Ever. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, so, uh, you know a, a Cuban superstar like that out in the Miami market. I mean, dude, if you were, if you were telling me, I, I'd say this, man, not as a primary piece, right? But, but if we're talking about, like, a fun team, that you can see how it can like turn into a contender, right? If you're telling me that that a, there's a Miami team that had 
And again, this is just this is just fantasy roster building because I, I, yeah. I don't see a way of it happening. But if you're telling me that the three main hitters, I don't want to say that, the, that this puts them over the top, but if you're telling me that the, that the three main hitters and you count Solaire as a four, right? Yeah. And the three other main hitters in your, in your lineup were Luis Arias, who you already have. And there was some way to acquire a player slash personality. And again, I just think these guys fill in the role perfectly, but a duo of Jordan Alvarez and a Rosarena. Even though I don't, I don't think a Rosarena is that crazy of it, right? But if you had those personalities, those type of, of players on the team, I could look at Miami as, hey, they might come in here one season and sneak an NL East title. Or they might come in here one season and you better hope that you're not playing them in the first round of, of the playoffs. Because if even if you eliminate them, they're going to take you all, you know, three, five games like to do it. So like they're going to be a, a scrappy team to do it. But again, I don't know if the road is clear enough to get to that point. And I think there's still like there's still ways away from like real contention, man. I think I had I think I said if they're. They'd be surprising if they get to the point where they're just like an 82 win team this season. Right. And they're like pushing to that point. Like that's still huge improvement. That's a nine, 10 win improvement on last season. So I think that's the direction you want to go when it's ultimately said and done, but they need that superstar acquisition. And we've been talking about this since 2020, man, since before the pandemic, we've, I think we've been on the Marlins as far as they can do it. They can do it. We see that we see the, we see the way they can do it. Right. Uh, Yo, honestly, if I were them at this point, like I don't think Sixto ever really pitches for them to to a point where they want him to to be like, yo, yeah, that's a name. Send him somewhere, send him somewhere because he has value to someone as far as name value. Right. See what what player you can get that might have two or three years on their on their contract or maybe pre arb whatever that a team's willing to say, hey, I'm willing to take Sixto. We need pitching more than we need hitting at this point in in, in our where we're at. Like, let's see if we can develop Sixto. Are there teams like that? I think there are, right? Like, you know, do you get, like, like the Rangers, right? Like, the Rangers need pitching. Do you think they, they say, hey, maybe we'll take six, so we'll send someone in our in our farm. Maybe, what's it called? We talked about, um, what's it called? There's there's options, is, is what I'm saying, right? They have, I'm looking at their prospect list right now, and there's no one that, I, that impresses me as far as a hitter, but the pitching on there is still ridiculous, right? Like, like Max Mayer right now, which I know he's injured, but like he's a dude who we know can get it done. He's he's, he's pitched major league innings, um. So I mean, we'll see, dude. Let, let let's keep let's keep it young here, though, man. Let's talk about some of these rookie of the year races so far. And to do that, we're gonna go ahead and look at where we're at with the odds, uh, as far as uh, Vegas and shit like that, right? Right now in the AL, your front leader is still uh, Masataka Yoshida. Red Sox, Red Sox have kind of come down to her recently. Your last place, Red Sox, but he's still he's still your rookie year favorite, followed by Josh Young and Bryce Miller, who those odds had to hit a little bit because he he played the Yankees recently and the Yankees did some things to him. National League, James Outman was originally your favorite. He's had a cold ass May. Um, it, his his hot April came down. Corbin Carroll, who in my opinion is going to win it at this point, I don't see a way he doesn't win it. And Brett Beatty are your top three on, I would say, the majority of your of your betting sites right now, man. I know you're way more into into, into betting than I am, so you you're gonna know more more about this. But where where do you see this breaking down right now? Yeah, I think look, man, the the rookie of the year conversation is interesting. 
I think the way that it's set up currently, when you take a look at the AL, uh, Masataka Yoshida should absolutely be the favorite um, for the award. I think when you look at his main competition, um, you know, along with, I actually, I actually drew out, you know, looking at some of the names, looking at some of the, the stats that were out there. So I, I find that the AL is more of a race. Um, I tend to agree with you. I think Corbin Carroll, um, even though I'm going to dive a little bit into it, but I think Corbin Carroll is going to end up running away um, with the National League Rookie of the Year award. Um, but for the AO, I actually do think it's it's a little bit more of a race. I had Mastaka Yoshida, not in any particular order, but I had Yoshida, Josh Young, I had uh, Bryce Miller, I had um, Hunter Brown from the Astros. Um, and I also had uh, uh, Yanir Cano, who we talked about last season, you know, when we were covering Baltimore and their bullpen. I think he, I think he's a guy in that race that's not getting a lot uh, enough love. You know, there's a there's a lot of other names like like some of the betting odds still have even our our own guy Anthony Volpe, right? We hope he he turns out well and and has a better rookie year. But if you're asking me right now, statistically, who should who should be who's who's more worthy of the rookie of the year award in the AL, Anthony Volpe or Yanir Cano? It'd be Yanir Cano. Like what he's doing for that Baltimore Absolutely. bullpen is he he's he's arguably the best reliever in the entire MLB like currently this season. Like and what he's doing for that Baltimore bullpen is is great for, you know, any type of of season that they're trying to have. They they're definitely strong in their playoff hopes um and he's one of those key pieces. But, you know, Hunter Brown, like when you look at a guy like Hunter Brown out in Houston, Bryce Miller out in Seattle, they're having great uh, rookie uh, pitching years. You know, you definitely not anything like where you're just looking at a guy like, oh, man, he's going to go out there and have a 1.50 ERA or something like that. They're coming in and they're contributing uh, to their teams um, as much as they can, you know, and they're out there in the same division. And those are going to be young arms that you kind of rely on to 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 build upon. You know, Houston, especially losing a guy like Justin Verlander, they, they're able to bring in a guy like Hunter Brown to take over one of those one of those. Uh, position in the rotation um same thing with bryce miller right seattle lost uh robbie ray earlier on this season when you lose a guy like that a former cy young winner who you signed to a long contract um you kind of need an arm to come in there and kind of be able to fill in and, and be effective in those starts and i think both of those guys are prime candidates to finish third for the award um just because i think i think the award is going to come down to two two hitters in, in yoshida and josh young and i think you can make an argument for both um yoshida is the favorite because he's dominating like number wise, like he's hitting 314. He has an 899 OPS. He ranks top like and when you're talking about just overall numbers, not amongst rookies, just overall players in the AL, Yoshida is top 10 in hits, batting average, slugging, WRC plus. Like a lot of the prime offensive offensive categories, Yoshida's in the top 10 amongst all players in the AL, which means he's in that same conversation, you know, with your Aaron Judges, with your Mike Trouts, with your Otanis with your Marcus Simeons, with your Vladdy uh, Guerrero Jr. Like he's in that conversation this season. Um, that's why I think having him number one is is correct here as as we're talking at the beginning of June. Um, but Josh Young is right there putting up, you know, good offensive stats of his own as well. And I think the argument for him is going to be he's a key contributor in what the Texas Rangers are doing. Depending on how the Texas Rangers end their year, right? Josh Young might be top three most important hitter in that Texas Ranger lineup. Um, and especially in their in their in what you would consider their first year of rebuilding, because I, I would say like this is where their first year is is put fully in motion. I think last year, yes, they they acquired Seager and, and Marcus Simeon. But I think this year they went full all out, you know, invested more in their rotation with Jacob DeGrom, invested fully as in like, hey, who's going to lead our team for the next five, six years or whatever. Bruce Bochy, um, you know, the Bruce Bochy hire has been a great one. So I think a player like Josh Young is definitely in that conversation right now. Um, again, I would still give it to Yoshida. And 
I'm just going to say this quickly too. Remember that when Yoshida signed with the Red Sox, that there was some like anonymous GM or some or something like that that said that Yoshida wouldn't even be worth half of his contract. So half of his contract would be five years for $45 million. I'll tell you what, if I had a guy in my lineup who in his rookie season, whatever you want to consider that he's a, a vet out in Japan or whatever, but in his rookie season in the MLB is top 10 in hits, batting average, slugging, and WRC plus, and I'm paying him $9 million average for the next five seasons, I'm definitely going to be very satisfied with that. So we have to be so quick with the judging, especially when Yoshida for the longest time was hyped up as being an elite level hitter. Like he was, I, I mentioned Yoshida before as this guy is going to come to the MLB and he's going to be in the hitting conversation along with like the Otani's coming over from Japan. He can't, he's not a pitcher, but he's going to be in that same offensive category. So it's been great to see for Yoshida and, you know, to be quick on the NLN, like I said, Corbin Carroll is going to run away with the award. There's not that much of a competition, um, but I do want to see, you know, James Altman had his cold May. I want to see if he bounces back, if he's able to stay in that conversation, at least to give him a little bit of comp. I think the dark horse that we're going to see out in the NL is um, Ellie, Ellie De La Cruz. When Ellie, if Ellie De La Cruz comes up for the Cincinnati Reds, depending on what type of stretch he has, um, and again, we have to see if the Reds are willing to do it because they do have some blockage in their infield currently. They do have um, Jonathan India and Matt McClain, they kind of have to make a decision on one of those two guys. There's been conversations on them possibly thinking about trading Jonathan India in the in the summer. Um, so, hey, Jonathan India might be a piece that that might be out there for a team that's looking for a bat uh, uh, and, a, and a good one too at second base. Um, so that'll be interesting. But I think, you know, there's no point in going that deep in the NL conversation because it's been Corbin Carroll and it's it's probably going to be Corbin Carroll for like a good 97% of the remaining season. So um, I think for Corbin Carroll, they should start wrapping up his award with some bubble wrap or something and just start loading it onto the truck, asking him what his address is and, and where they could deliver it because that's how the NL is looking to play out. Man, like I, my biggest problem, it's not, it's not a problem, but like when you're talking about rookie of the years and they're like my age now at like 30, it's kind of hard to get behind that, right? Like, yeah. Like Yoshida and Kano, uh, you Kano, they're both like 29 going on 30 this year. But, you, you know, you're still rookies, right? I'm not going to show you for that. But for me, it's Josh Young. Uh, you know, I think a guy like Josh Young is why you can spend $500 million on other players. You're going to have him for the next eight years of control, right? So if he plays up to what, at least what I think he could play, right? I think he could be a legitimate middle lineup bat kind of, kind of guy, right? Uh, I'm going to already say he's the best third baseman in the state of Texas right now. Uh, I know I kind of flirted with it last week over over um, Alex Bregman. At this point in time, Josh Young is just the better third baseman. Like, it, it is what it is, Astro fans. Uh, you know, he has to line up around them where even even if he struggles, you're not going to really look at it because, you know, there, there's so many other guys around that they're going to have that attention, right? Adolis, Adolis Garcia is going to have more attention on him than, than Josh Young. You mentioned Seager and Simeon. They're going to have more attention on them than Josh Young, right? Even, you know, even on the pitching side, right? Like, you'll have guys you're, you're, you're talking about before you talk about Josh Young, and silently he's going to be producing. Like, his numbers his numbers are great for, for, for a rookie right now. Like, these are numbers that you take from literally anyone, nevertheless a rookie. With, with Yoshida, you know, I, I love Yoshida. Uh, for me, I once, I once I saw him in the WBC, I was like, He's gonna annoy the fuck out of us for the next five years, cause he had, look he has a perfect swing for Fenway, 
which is something that we don't really like people haven't really talked about. But he has the perfect swing for Fenway. Lefties typically do really well out there when they when, when they're like good like oppo hitting lefties. That's kind of something that Yoshida does really well. Right? So is there I, I think he, like it's gonna be Yoshida or Jung or or my opinion. Oh man, we, we I wanna talk to you about this and we'll 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 end the show on this because it's 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 kind of a Yankee thing. But like Anthony Volpe at shortstop we, we can't give him the, the kind of out that we give other rookies, right? Because I think the, the problem with the Anthony Volpe at shortstop is people are trying to force a narrative instead of just letting, you know, what's going to happen, happen. Uh, in the NL side, once once they send Jordan Walker down down for any period of time, I it, it was done. He wasn't going to win rookie of the year because Corbin Carroll's too good, right? That, that, that's what it comes down to. Corbin Carroll's just way ahead of, of everyone else on that NL list. Jordan Walker, in my opinion, is is like second to him right now, and there's a long way for him to go. That Cardinals team sucks right now. That organization is garbage. So I don't I don't know. Which is nothing. It's not something you usually say about a, a Cardinals organization. But you know, he talked. Yeah, like Jordan Walker. You have to let things wrap up. No, you you just have to let things wrap up with the Jordan Walker thing. I think I think like you like you mentioned, like it was a toxic season to come into in that in that Cardinals um you know locker room and. You know, we're living in a world where the Cardinals could end up still winning the Central. Like, they're they're only, like, five or six games back. So, like, can they fix a lot of their mistakes? Like, sure. But, we're you know, we're living in a world where we talked about what their manager direction is going to be. We don't know if, if, if Marmol is the correct manager long-term for this team. But you have vets in there, like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, who, yes, they had terrific seasons last year. Paul Goldschmidt, you know, winning MVP. But they're also not getting any younger, right? Like Paul Goldschmidt, right. you're talking about one of the best first basemen of of his generation. Nolan Arenado, you're talking about one of the third, one of the greatest third basemen of all time. Like you, and you have these players here who another year is going by, another year is going by. You have to try to build around a lot of the pieces on your team aren't necessarily mixing well. You have to move on, right? Like they they also have a need at pitching. Like they don't have a, they don't have an arm that scares you in their rotation like at all. For a lot of years, we we contemplated whether that would be a Jack Flaherty. Jack Flaherty can't stay healthy. That's just what it's been for for his career. So, um, you know, the Cardinals are still looking for whether it's pitching on the rotation end, whether it's pitching in the bullpen. They can definitely use a, a lot of pitching on their end. I don't think that their lineup is necessarily the problem. But again, just in in terms of the situation, how the team has looked this season, I think it might just be better for Jordan Walker to you know spend the season in AAA, see see what direction the team takes next year. Um, even though I flirted with the idea of Yadi or Molina taking over as manager, whether it's Yadi, whether it's somebody else, like whoever ends up taking, because again, I, I'm of the team where I don't think Marmol's the long-term answer for this team. I think I think when you have the pieces that you have, you can't be having seasons like this. Um, I know, you know, baseball's a game and there's other good teams out there, but the Cardinals for a very long time have been one of the elite organizations in the sport. And even though they don't necessarily go into every season having the best talent in the world, um, they definitely have a a good level of talent year in and year out to compete and stay competitive. Um, and with the pieces that they have currently, it's not a place that you want to see the Cardinals in. So, I mean, it's tough, man. But but yeah, I, I think they're gonna have to get that fixed. And then it 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 left it left. Let's be real. It left Corbin Carroll with no competition because when we came into yeah. the season, the conversation was literally Jordan Walker or Corbin Carroll. Once one of them is completely gone, and like you said, Corbin Carroll is fantastic. Like Corbin Carroll is is the type of player that, you know, a team like the Arizona Diamondbacks should rightfully build around. And they already extended him to a long, like eight yeah. year contract. So like that's great for them. Um he is that kind that kind of player and he's out there showing it. 
Dude, I mean, look. So, so Jordan Walker, they, they they call him back up over the weekend, and you know what what does he do other than you know doing what he's been doing, right? He he, he hits like the the, the yep. most telling part. The most telling thing for me was last week they were talking that like the media was talking to Jordan Walker, and they're like, "Hey, man, so what? Like, like what's going on? What's happening?" And he was like, "Look, man, I'm 20 years old, and I've been hitting the shit out of the ball. Why the fuck would you come out here and tell me to do this shit differently?" when I've been absolutely fucking raking the way I've been doing it, right? So that conversation was about how basically they, like, the, the Cardinals were like, oh, hey, we want you to, to like, have so much, some more launch angle and, and blah, 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 blah. And look, I'm not, like, bro, guys need it, right? Like, I think you, you've seen it enough, whether it be Luke Voigt or Max Muncy or whatever, that if you do have some adjustments, you can really unlock some players. But... Some generational talents are just fucking generational talents. They just have to let them do what they, what they do, right? Like, Aaron Judge will never say this, but Aaron Judge gets zero fucking advice from the Yankees hitting coach. I promise you. He's not sitting there talking about his swing with the Yankees hitting coach. There's a reason why he has his own guy who it, – it's very publicized, by the way. This isn't like me making shit up. It's very publicized that he has a hitting coach who has a different approach to it. The Yankee coach, like, we've seen them work with other guys. It's very different. Like, sometimes you got to let your generational dudes go do generational things without you necessarily having control in all of it, right? Because I look at this, man, like, I got, I got the depth chart for the, like, Cardinals pulled up right now, and it's it's ridiculous that they're not first place by a fucking mile in that division. Like, obviously the pitching is what the pitching is, and, and that's definitely what hurts them. But aside from that, man, like, you have dudes that would start on – you have guys that would start on pretty much every other team in the MLB – that have to sit the bench because they have too much talent in that lineup, right? When you're telling me, when you're telling me I have to pick only three outfielders between Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carson, Jordan Walker, Lance, and, and Lance Newcar, it's like, that's a pretty good problem to have, right? Like, like I'm just saying, like, teams would kill for that kind of problem. And they're just like, nah, we're going we're gonna to find a way to fuck this one up. Uh, it, it sucks, man. But no, but it's a rookie of the year thing. Yeah, man, I, I don't see... Uh, Barring injury, I don't see Kirby Carroll. James Altman has kind of – he's come down to earth, like, a lot, right? Um, so, you know, it, it is what it is, man. But, like, the one thing I want to touch on you, and we can finish on this. Do you still think Anthony Volpe is the right person to keep at shortstop for the Yankees as of right now? The reason the reason why we say this, by the way, it isn't just, like, Anthony Volpe hate. is because if you're not a Yankee fan, you might not know this, but um, – Oswald Peraza has been absolutely destroying the ball in AAA. And he's had some major league at-bats. He already has a major league start in the playoffs at shortstop. And the competition was between those two pretty much at, at the shortstop position. Do you think it's time to say, hey, Anthony, we might need you to, to do some other things? I think, I think it depends on how you're looking at the question because I would say yes, but we've had this conversation before where Anthony Volpe is probably more suited to play second base. That comes down to the Yankees willing to make some tough decisions, which we've talked about before. It's not just us pushing this narrative of like, oh man, like the Yankees have to go make these trades. It's that it's that they have way too many players for certain for certain everyday spots. That's just the reality. If you want to keep, if you if you're saying that the plan is to keep both Anthony Volpe and Oswald Peraza, then you would have to go with a Peraza shortstop, Volpe second base combo, which then you have to bring into question, what are you doing with DJ LeMahieu? What are you doing with Gleyber Torres? You have to make decisions on that end. Until those decisions are not fully made, you're always going to be in this limbo of, 
oh, should we call up this guy because this guy's not performing well? So in terms of how the Yankees are operating currently, I would say no. I would keep Volpe at shortstop for this season just based on how the Yankees operate because I don't see a world where they're going to come out here and trade a LeMahieu or trade a uh, Glaber this season to kind of create that hole that's needed for Volpe to play. And I think it's probably going to be worse for him as a player if you just say, hey, we're going to send you to AAA. We're going to give your spot to somebody else now instead of just being like, hey, we're trying to shift you to second where we think you're going to be a better fit and you don't mess up that confidence too much because you're still like, hey, you're still part of the major league roster. You're still one of the guys that we look at as a top prospect. Until they don't, they're not willing to make that type of decision. Like, I don't know, man, but I'll tell you this. If they if they are willing to make that type of decision, like if like if the Yankees these next two months are just like, fuck it. Like we're 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 building this package with Glaber Torres, somebody else, da, 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 we have to acquire this other piece that we need, right? And you make that decision and you you're in a position where Oswald Peraza is at, at short and Anthony Volpe's at second. I think then we can maybe start looking at Anthony Volpe as a dark horse in the AL Rookie of the Year conversation if he's able to kind of fit in a more natural role because I think it'll give him it'll give him an opportunity for um, you know since there is a little bit less of a defensive effort that's needed it might elevate his defense um, a little bit in that end and I think just you know he's been put in a position where I think it would be easier for him to shine if he wasn't just the one that had the spotlight on him right? Like there's no other prospect that has the spotlight on, on them for the Yankees compared to an Anthony Volpe. If a Peraza is up, that's a guy we've been looking at, right? When you're talking into next season, you're talking about a position where they might call up Jason Dominguez. Now you're in a position where you have two or three prospects on the major league roster that all are getting like this shine put on them as a group. Kind of like when the baby bombers came up, right? Like it wasn't just Aaron Judge. It was Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez and all these guys coming up at the same time. So there were more guys that had the spotlight on them. Um, so I think that might be a benefit for him. But dude, until that change is not done completely, I mean, I don't know what we're going to fully expect out of Anthony Volpe outside of the of the stolen base department. I think the toughest part about this is like Yankee fans are so fucking nostalgic because you know it just is what it is, right? Like you usually try to go back to good times. Anthony, look, man, I'm not saying Anthony Volpe can't play shortstop at the major league level. I just don't think he'd be a gold glover at the major league level. And not that that should be the standard. But for me, you have someone who can play the position at a higher level. And we know this, right? Like, this isn't like, like conjecture. We know this. We, we, we've been told this. The, the, the stats in the minor leagues show this, right? Where Peraza, he's a better defender than, than Volpe. And guess what? His bat isn't. It isn't too bad, right? Like, it's not like we're, we're saying, okay, yeah, he's better, but we have, we take a significant dip offensively. You know, that hasn't shown to be the case, right? So if it was me, I think the unfortunate part of this is Glaber Torres is going to get, like, the, the short end of the stick here where because of mismanagement of these guys and because no foresight, in my opinion, Glaber might get traded, right? He, he He's someone that I can see getting traded if there is a, a – I don't know, man. I don't think Corbin Burns gets traded, but if there's a name out there to be traded for, Glaber might be part of that conversation. He, there was a conversation last year with the Marlins about him going there for, for Pablo Lopez. So, you know, it, it kind of happened already. For me, if I, if I were playing GM of the Yankees, I'd do whatever I can to see if I can get Glaber to play third. Glaber's played third before, right? Not not like for a long period of time, but he's played third base before. 
I think he has the arm for third base. For me, Volpe doesn't have the arm for shortstop. I don't think he can make some of the plays that you need to make at shortstop, and I think a big deal, a big part of that is he doesn't have the arm strength for it. But a perfect Yankee infield for, for me would be Volpe at second. I think that's the position he could shine on, right? Peraza at short. And I'm not saying I'm in love with Peraza. I'm saying I, I can acknowledge that he's a better defender at short. I think he's a, a major league shortstop that can make more major league plays than, than Volpe at shortstop position. And I'd see if I can get Glaber at third. What we've seen from DJ LeMahieu and, and his, his age and stuff like that, like he doesn't seem to be um, you know, as good a, as before. Like, like he seems like he's getting older. Donaldson last year of his thing. So there's a world where all these guys can coexist. Donaldson's the one that has to – he's not going to get resigned by the Yankees. So after this year, Donaldson's gone anyway. It might be worth it if he struggles to just say, yo, fuck it, we're going to kick you out, DFAU. Send you to the Marlins for Sixto Sanchez. <laughs> nah, nah, that's crazy. But anyway, man. Uh, that would be wild. <laughs> Yeah, man. So, so we'll, we'll see what happens, though. But yeah, rookie of the year odd for for Volpe. I don't, I don't think it's our. I don't think that's the thing that's gonna happen. Yeah. But, yo, that is that is it for us. We will catch you guys next week. Uh, enjoy some more baseball, guys. Ciao.